Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures.net. I am Caleb Wells, not Sean Claybone, your host. And today with me is Y Lou. How you doing, Y? And pretty good yourself. I'm good. I am drowning in new data and a new code base and <laughs> figuring all the stuff out with a new job. But it's awesome. um, it's good. Yeah, it's it's a new challenge is always always welcome in in development, right? That's how you grow. Mm. So. You'll be an expert in no time. <laughs> there you go. You're running the show. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I understand, right? You've your your new position is going well, uh, good as well. So yeah, yeah, it's always fun to try something new, new technology. But yeah, cool. I'm doing power up. So. Good, good. So today, joining us is Samuel Adrani. Samuel, thank you for joining us. Thank uh, you for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into programming and some of your background? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So um, before you know, I get into that, uh, funny, you're talking about new jobs. So I also recently switched jobs, currently working with Macoma as a senior software engineer, but pretty much doing a lot of power, you know, power platform stuff. So looks like we're all in that transition. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And right, yeah, it's, that, uh, it's that three to six months or so that, that you have to take to, to get acclimated. Yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, like you you mentioned, yeah, my name is Samuel Lajani. I am from Ghana, uh, West Africa. Up until two years ago, I was living and working in uh, Portland, Oregon. But now I'm back in Accra, Ghana, trying to do stuff and help, especially help community grow because I I realized a huge gap in that. But I'll, I'll probably talk more about that, you know, into the show. How I got into technology, I, I have a very interesting story about how I got into tech. So growing up, I was very fidgety, would mess up my father's radio, try to fix it, you know, big stuff. So I had that kind of affinity for electronics and stuff like that. But that really didn't define my path. My father used to be a volleyball coach and he was a good tactician. You know, he never lost his matches. Something happened. They had to play a club championship. I think it was in Italy somewhere. So for those familiar with volleyball, they have this sign out, this this statistic sheet they used to actually count, like count their side out, count their blogs, count their attacks. It was just this sheet they used to, you know, track that. Now, for him on that particular game, so then volleyball was the best of five. So the best of five sets wins. And he won the first set, he won the second set and lost the last three sets. He didn't understand what happened. But he noticed that his opponent had this white boxy thing that people kept pressing stuff on. So, you know, after the competition, he went to, you know, talk to them. Hey, you know, congratulations, nice, nice match. But he was curious about that little thing they had. They was like, oh, that's a computer. 
So what happened was that whilst they were using the paper to fill out your side out, your blocks, your tags, they were pretty much entering that into a computer and they did some kind of statistics to figure out his top players, his top blockers. So the first two games was just to feed the computer with enough data to be able to kind of like know how he plays. I was like, really? And this is a computer. Now what happens? He comes back to Ghana and my school, my primary school had just started computer classes. And I'm all excited. I'm like, daddy, 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 my school is starting something called computer classes. Like what? Computers? You got to learn that, you know. So <laughs> that's how pretty much it started. And I got all the support he could give me because in my time, it wasn't common. People even didn't know what computers were. But he had had a personal experience to something he loved. And, you know, he pretty much pushed me from that time on to now. And it's fast forward today. This is where we are. So that's how I, I actually got into programming and computers. That, that's awesome. That's an awesome story. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's interesting from that point on it had just been you know he kept pushing me from one point to the other you know unless i having i don't ask that hey i think there's a new software there's a new class it's like you know go learn it go learn it and he's just been very strong support system for me and that's really helped me to come you know this far yeah i've i went into teaching as well of computers at some point so kind of like giving back and that has been part of something I love to do. So pretty much when I learn something new, I want pretty much everybody to know that, hey, I can do this stuff. And that has stuck with me all the years. And my passion, that actually is what's reflecting now in my passion for community work. Yeah. I'm curious what got you to move to the U.S. from, from Ghana? Because you're, you're a Microsoft MVP in Azure. Yes. So you know your stuff. Why, why the move <laughs> to the U.S.? So... After after school, like I mentioned, I um, I have this trait of wanting to learn the new tech or having access to new gadgets and wanting to know how it works. So I'm pretty much self-motivated. And I, I call myself an early adopter because I want to learn the new tech and see how I can, I can use it. So I was teaching in a technology institution for a while. And a friend just told me that, hey, and then I was actually doing a lot of .NET, C-sharp kind of things. And a friend said, hey, there is this man who is a Ghanaian. He has a business in the state, but he wants to you know, start like a cost center, like a branch in Ghana. And he's looking for people with .NET skills because he wants to do some new technology stuff. And knowing you, you're kind of like the best person I know you can help. So I said, he set up a meeting for me to meet this man. I went in there, you know, pretty much uh, did what I do best. He fell in love. I was like, I need you on my team. So we started with a team of four and I was the only person responsible for new technology and .NET. So then they had a proprietary software, which was in uh, classical ASP. And my responsibility was to be part of a team that was converting that entire project that had been alive for over 20 something years to .NET web forms. So I was part of that team. I was the only person in Ghana working on that project at that time. And the whole other team members were in the state. And over time, a lot of the, almost all the engineers and all the people on the project in the U.S. left the company. So I became the only person with the, all the knowledge about the platform and all that. It was like, what? You know what? <laughs> it makes sense for you to be in the state to, you know, pretty much connect with customers and, you know, help build it. But in the meantime, I was also responsible for growing the team in Ghana. So 
from a team of four, by the time I left the company, which was in 2018, the company had moved from a number four to about 20, 30 engineers. A lot of them from my pipeline. So that's how I got into the state. So it started with go to the state for three months, Ghana for three months, six months, three months, six months, three months. And then eventually, ah, oh, you know what? It's just best for you to move into, you know, move into the state. So that's how I got into the state. It was just work, uh, work related. Yeah. But <laughs> the question on the, you know, MVP, it's just like me wanting to learn new stuff and all that. I, I caught up with the cloud, the whole cloud craze early enough. And I started exploring and looking into it and trying to understand it. So pretty much I would go for conferences. And if you look at them, so uh, Portland to Seattle is just about three hours. So I'll just be looking out for events in the micro, on the Microsoft campus or around Seattle where they're talking about Azure and stuff. I'll drive there, go learn it. So at some point, I became like the Azure champion in my workplace, you know, helping them. You know what? We need to move to the cloud. We need to do this. And so that's how I got to that connection or that uh, passion for Azure. And then coupling with community and supporting people and helping, I got myself into this MVP thing. <laughs> so I was going to ask you um, about... so. You- when you moved to the States, did you need to have like visas and stuff like that? Or were you still getting paid? Like were you still like a like a Ghanaian citizen, but just kind of there for a couple of months? Like how did you how, how did the employment situation work there? Yeah. So in the early stages where it was just a business kind of like a you know, you'd be there for like three months helping scope the project, that was just I was still being paid in Ghana. So I was just there like on short trips and all that. But so there is this category of visas called the L categories. There's L1A, which is managerial position for intra-company transfers. And then there's the L1B, which is specialized knowledge. So let's say if you have a business anywhere, any other, any other place in the world, and you, are, you have another business in the US, you can treat that as a parent, child, or affiliate company. So you are allowed to do what they call the intra-company transfer. So if if I was working for the Ghana office for over a year, they could transfer me to the U.S. office as an intra-company transfer on an L1B, either with a specialized knowledge or someone in a managerial role. But what happens is that you are tied to that company and then you, you can only work for another company until they file, let's say, an H1B or something for you. So that's how it works. But once I moved to the U.S., I was fully in the U.S. system working like on the L1B visa as an American in the, using, let's say, not, not the employment authorization, but then as a visa holder that's allowed to work in the U.S. Okay. And then after a couple of years, you, you decided to move back to Ghana, is it? Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things. While in the U.S., I was actively involved in community stuff. I got introduced by Jordan, really awesome chap. There was actually a gap. So I was on the west side of Beaverton. And the only Azure user group was downtown, which was like in the east side. And trust me, traffic to that side was really terrible. And almost all the time, the meetup events were either in the morning or midday, and it was very difficult for you to commute from work to go for these, you know, meetups. So my friend, myself and a colleague was like, dude, why don't we start, you know, a bigger thing, Azure user group, which is closer to us and we can pretty much, you know, have the same meetups. So we put that together, went to, you know, script a few companies and we're really, and I'll say a big thank you to SoftSource because we're the first company to give us their space to do the meetup. 
So that's how we started. So we started a Westside kind of like Azure user group. Then we got people coming in, but eventually we connected with uh, Joe, who was like the founder for the Portland. And eventually we pretty much unified it. But then it became like a chapter. So we're all running one big user group, but we had chapters all over the place. So, so I was looking back to Ghana. I was like, wait a minute. There isn't a lot of these meetups. Like it, it was actually non-existent. And I was like, but this is an opportunity for you to connect with like minds, to meet people, even for those seeking jobs and stuff like that. So I started looking into two years before I came, to, I came down. I started researching looking for people who have probably had started meetup groups. And then I found one guy, Frank Odum. It was like, he had started the Accra.net user group. I was like, yeah, there we go. If there's an Accra.net user group, I don't need to come and start one. So let me talk to this guy. So we started talking on LinkedIn and then he was like, dude, I mean, I've just looked at your profile. I'm following you. You know what? If you want us to collaborate when you're down, when you're down, let's do this. But before then, Anytime I visited Ghana, I would do a workshop. It was something I did. So almost every year, I would come back to Ghana. And when I was in Ghana, when I was in Ghana, I would do a workshop, right? So I came back, connected with him. We started putting uh, more energy into the meetup groups. And then the number scale, we are over 1,000 and something membership now. And that also um, led me to other events in Nigeria, connected with Dona. We started a power platform user group and now it's just grown exponentially. And if you follow me, you realize that IoT is also my thing. And one of the things I do best is how to connect IoT to the power platform, to Azure, to pretty much all the other platforms. And that has become a huge success that now a lot of people on the continent, especially in the Western African sub-region, are following IoT really keenly. So that's how it happened. So what, what is the... IT or tech industry like in West Africa? I mean, is it, right, I'm from New Orleans and we have a bunch of startups here and there's tons of opportunity. How how are things in West Africa from, from that standpoint? Yeah, so it's, I would I say that it is, there is a lot of interest in a lot of these new technologies, all right? But it, we need we need a lot of, how do I call it, people to support some of these things. Because a lot of a lot of people have heard about the tech and they want to learn about it, but the resources are not there. Or, you know, the, the skill set to introduce them to it is very, very scarce. But the ecosystem is really growing up until I think a year or two. Um, even the Microsoft presence was probably only in Nigeria and South Africa. There was a, like, there was a lot of noise about a group of people in these two regions trying to make some impact. But, We've seen the growth now where Microsoft is, you know, including a lot of Africans in like Build, like Ignite and Inspire. So pretty much, yeah, the, the, the tech system, the ecosystem is, you know, it's growing. And the likes of like Candela coming in with, you know, the uh, strategies. So yeah, pretty much, pretty much is, is growing. There are, you mentioned a new, you're starting a new company. Is, is this a company based in Ghana? Yeah. So the company I'm working with now is in the States. It's Macoma. Actually, and one of the MVPs, Mariano, that's how, you know, we, we got connected because I was doing a lot of the past stuff and he was like, dude, I, I'm trying to get, you know, people to help do some automation or so help with my IT stuff. So why wouldn't you, you know, come help us? So, and then I was like, hey, why not? It's some of the benefits of being in the MVP community. So, yeah, but currently it's in the case, but working remote of that. 
So one thing you mentioned was, right, your background in IT and how you use that to connect the different meetups, your user groups from Ghana to Nigeria and other places. How are you doing that? What what kind of uh, IoT are you have you implemented? Well, so pretty much basic, so to speak. A lot of people, most times, let's say, are not really understanding of what that whole process is. But what I did was just to introduce them to the fact that, hey, this is a microcontroller. You know, this is what it means if we're talking about Internet of Things. And simple things like, let's say, home automations, controlling devices over the Internet, sending telemetry and acting upon it. So I've done a couple of like workshops introducing people to like Arduinos, Raspberry Pis, and it pretty much caught on, even to the extent of industries wanting to get into industrial IoT. So that's how I am connecting with these people. And your main expertise right now is, I guess, connecting or gathering this IoT data and putting it into into power apps, is it? Or into yeah. Cloud? So well, Power Platform is giving us like low code, no code. So. I wanted to show that it was possible pretty much to control your devices through the power platform. So how do I connect, you know, let's say my fan, my sensors and stuff through power platform and create an app that allows me to interface with these things using the power platform. So bridging that gap. Like I've just started using power, power apps and all that stuff as well on the power platform. And I think it's, it's pretty pretty exciting, isn't it? Or the, the things you can do. The the um, yeah, I haven't done much IoT at all, but yeah, it's just it's just pretty exciting how um the, the possibilities of what you can do in the future, I guess. So yep, yep. Actually there's I keep forgetting his name, but imagine mm. being able to control, let's say, a physical device from let's say power automate. Where you speak, you're talking to a bot or interacting with a virtual bot, and it's actually controlling a physical bot. Those are some of the possibilities. So you're using the power platform, which is low code entry, to control this sophisticated like physical, you know, asset. So yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. So are you are you looking to to continue to grow your user groups meetups across the rest of Africa? I'm assuming right yes. now, reach as many people as you can. Yes. <laughs> and thanks to, well, I wouldn't say thanks to it, but with, with COVID and all that, the .NET Foundation has actually really helped where now all the meetups are virtual. So pretty much, it's not just limited to Accra user group. It's not just limited to the West Africa .NET. Pretty much, it's the entire global .NET user groups. So now, we had a session with, uh, what's his name? Uh, we are having a session with Scott Hanselman sometime in September. We did one with Maria Nagaga. And pretty much, it's spreads across the entire global .NET user group. So their reach is getting wider and wider. So now, we're not really restricted to just, but yeah, the, the, yeah it, it's it's part of the final goal to get a lot of people in that in that space. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. So do you are there any startups or consulting firms in in Accra or in Ghana? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Lots of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> a lot in agri-tech, in fintech, in health, health tech. Pretty much a lot of young folks doing a lot of things in all these different sectors. And what Technology, do you reckon they're, they're mainly focused on? Is it a big .NET thing there? Is it mainly JavaScript, Node, that kind of stuff, or, or a whole So, variety? yeah. So most, most of them, I would say the Node, JavaScript, Java kind of startups. And one of the goals is also to try to get them onto the Microsoft ecosystem because there has been this notion of Microsoft is an enterprise thing and there's no free lunch with Microsoft and therefore a lot of them are on AWS. So that's another 
thing that we're trying to, you know, let them know. Look, there are a lot of services you can harness on Azure Cloud, which is almost even probably better than what you have on AWS. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, Microsoft's come a long way from, I mean, don't get me wrong, it can still be expensive depending on how you're using it, what you're doing, but it's not nearly what it used to be. And look who just joined us. Sean got held up at work, but he is here now to save the day. .NET superhero. Hey, you guys. Uh, hey. You need, you need some saving? What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, what's going on? You know? Uh, well, I'm sure you were saving someone else's day with, with work stuff, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. So we're, we're talking with Samuel kind of about some of his background. And he's in Ghana, which is where he's from, trying to build out user groups and meetups for .NET and get people integrated into the .NET ecosystem, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a great idea. That means more viewers or listeners for us, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, more people, exactly. More people in more .NET, more people listen to yep. Adventures in .NET. So. Yeah, and I think last the last session we had with Maria Nagaga, where she threw you know, a lot of light on the .NET Interactive, um, which we felt was really cool, because one of the problems in this part of region is easy access to the tech and then also how interactive it will be for a startup, someone who is just beginning to get access to it. So it was really, really interesting and cool to see that. And we're hoping to get such such uh, interventions coming in. We are also trying to push the fact that, look, C-Sharp and .NET now is cross-platform. So whether you're doing IoT, you're doing mobile apps, you're doing cloud, you're doing whatever it is, you're pretty much covered in all those spaces. So yeah, what we're trying, we're trying so much. And from my perspective, I don't know if you probably checked that out, but I have three weekly streams, live streams, not recorded. <laughs> For some reason, I, I, I don't find it amusing to do recorded streams. So I do live streams three times in a week, all touching on different points where I try to bring the tech closer to the people and see how they can leverage on, on them. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So what else have been some of the, like you said, you, you've had difficulty getting people access to the tech. Because that have been mainly like infrastructure, like trying to get, like people may not have like fast internet or is it being like trying to actually get people the information or they may not have like the hardware, like the computers, like what has been the main challenge for you guys in terms of educating people in Africa? So the biggest has been getting the resource to them and which coupled with actually internet access. Mm -hmm. But we, we are trying to figure ways to bridge that gap. So for instance, in the meetup groups, we're trying to incentivize some of the members with, you know, with data, with data so that they can actually access some of these resources. And then also trying to do a lot of in-person meetings before COVID hit. We did a lot of mm. in-person meetings so that we could be the resources to, you know, pretty much walk them through how to get started and point them to the right sources of information they need to start. So the challenge has been pretty much the resource and then in most cases the internet. But lately because of the, the whole virtual ecosystem, some of these things are, are being taken care of one way or the other, but we're still doing our best to see how, how we can bridge that gap even, even closer. So why do you think the, 
JavaScript frameworks are are popular in in Ghana? Is it you think it's easier to get into, less of a technical hurdle to get over? Because you know we well, got laser, from, from, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I would say Blazor has been well, well, not really that old, but I'll say that it's either from school because a lot of a lot of these people all all from school are taught JavaScript or Java. Because, for instance, most of the the school curriculum will teach you web development which is HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So you pretty much know that. And a lot of the programs when you're teaching your, let's say, object-oriented programming, a lot of them will go with Java. So it takes some specialized institutions to say, hey, we are doing OOP, but we're doing with .NET or C Sharp. So it's just a handful of people, especially those in the corporate or you know enterprises that would have maybe friends who are already using C Sharp and say, hey, you could use C Sharp, which is equally powerful even compared to Java. So I think that is what happened. And over time, it's become like the de facto. Either you're doing JavaScript or you're doing Java. So it's just in recent times with like things like Node.js and other frameworks that people are now looking, well, you know, you can really get into it. But then we are also trying to also bridge that gap. Say, hey, look, with .NET and C-Sharp, you know, you can also pretty much achieve a lot of things. So I think it's the school or the structure that exists and the curriculums that's making it so. Yeah, that makes sense. I think a lot of the computer science degrees in the U.S. lean towards Java as well, just because it's Java. Otherwise, I like that yeah. better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder why the institutions don't make it an option to say, hey, today you, you can pick Java or C Sharp. I don't know why, but they're like, either you're sticking to, hey, let's use Java. I don't know. I don't know why. I think there's a bit of like almost like a multiplier effect as well, because like, it depends on the city, but like if, if companies in the city are hiring for a particular technology, then you'll just get people learning that technology. And then those people will encourage that te- that technology to, to prosper, prosper as well. Because at the end of the day, you're, you, people, employees want to learn something that, that's employable, right? And the easiest thing mm-hmm. would be to, to learn something that is already popular. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. That's true. But I think, I think it doesn't matter, though, to be honest, in whatever technology, right? Um, as long as you're... You're doing something that whatever technology, it's just it's just a tool set, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's just whatever gets the job done. Yeah, but I think I mean it means we have a lot of work to do, you know, to get because I have I have a group of young people I'm mentoring, and I remember one of the times where I introduced one of them to the Azure Storage account because they were they were more familiar with Firebase and doing stuff. Like I was like, you know, this thing you're doing in trying to you know have a backend for your system and store something, you can do that. And I was like, really? I was like, yeah. So pretty much took them through like a 30-minute session on how to do that. I was like, mm. we could do this in Azure? It's like, yes. So it unless you provide people with that option, if they are not aware of it, they're still going to stick with pretty much what they know or what they're familiar with. So mm. that's why we feel that the more we put it out there, the more there is that option for people and you know even to try it and say hey i already know java i tried c sharp and i think i'm falling in love with c sharp so mm-hmm. i think that just reinforces the fact that we need to do more to push to let people know of this and you know to try it out i think um learning technologies from a different platform as well it's, it's always really good because it kind of reinforces the patterns and all stuff you've learned in the, the current platform like i've always been a microsoft person and um, I think a while ago I started doing I just I, I started doing more JavaScript and then I kind of 
I kind of met a lot of non-Microsoft people, you know, people doing it, the coding in straight JavaScript or even Java and, you know, Ruby and all that stuff. And it was just really good to, to kind of see the parallels, you know, like there's, like you said, there's Azure storage accounts and then there's also other, you know, AWS would have their own ways of doing things. But yeah. th- there's a lot of parallels between these different technologies. And, yeah, there's very, there's a lot of similarities, so it's good. Yeah. So while you're the youngest, youngest one here, how did you, mm. what made you pick .NET? There are there lots of things out there. You know, JavaScript was real buzzy. <laughs> like I said, I didn't pick .NET to be honest. I um I learned Java at um at university, and then my first job was just in .NET. So like um so I it was to, a jo- to, job brought it, you in. It picked you know, job, you. job posting, yeah. yeah. It's same um, thing with me. Yeah, yeah. My, my first job in .NET, it picked me. All right, yeah. I got hired and. It's like, oh, okay, here, figure it out. It's like, oh, all right. Well, this is kind of cool. <laughs> and my first job was a graduate position as well. So I don't think they even mentioned that in the interview, to be honest. So I didn't expect me to know anything. So. <laughs> but. Yeah, mine was a different mine was a different thing because I also did C++ and Java in school. I mentioned that I, I taught in a, in a computer institution, like a technical hands-on institution. But what yeah. happened was that I fell in love with Visual Basic. Because you know, then we were we were using we we're, were doing Java in this text editors and you know compiling and all that. So it was a lot of CLI command stuff. And then I found Visual Basic some way somehow. I was like, wait a minute! Like I could just create forms and you know just drag and drop and write. To it. It, it it was very easy for me and much appealing as a programmer. And then I just started just following it. Next version, next version, and then the next came. I was like, wait, wait a minute! So for me, that's how I got hooked onto it. And pretty much it's just it's just been that for me. And I keep telling people, my first love is always C sharp. And then maybe I'll put JavaScript and then now maybe Python. So that's it. Mm. Yeah, I think Visual Basic brought a lot of people into the .NET environment, you know, because back then you could show somebody, you know, just drag and drop this thing right onto the onto the canvas yep. here and, mm. and then, you know, double click it and write a little bit of code and and it does something. And yeah. I think I think .NET's lost a little bit of that. You know, it's coming back a little bit with Blazor, but I think it actually has become more difficult. You know, actually get started and build something that, hey, that's cool. The JavaScript frameworks out there, you can do that kind of stuff with Angular. You kind of like mm-hmm. put this little code here, and then all of a sudden you can click on buttons and things appear on the page. So yeah. I I think that is, is kind of what .NET might be missing a little bit. I that do easy know, to get started, build something simple. Well, I was going to say, I do know several people who are still on web forms and they're like, yep. where do we go from here? Right? Because .NET <laughs> framework, is, it's not going anywhere, but it's also not going to be re- receiving all the significant updates and features. Updates, yeah. And, and a lot of people say, go Blazor, right? And there, and there is some, you can compare it, but web forms is its own thing. I mean, right? It's mm. It follows the same, some of the same uh, of Visual Basic, right? And the drag and drop stuff and the, you know, you get the data binding stuff right in the design view and that kind of thing. And and I'll be honest, I don't miss it myself. <laughs> but I, I do know people who, they really like that flow, right? Yeah. But I, I think, that, well, should we, should we be asking the question of, are we trying to get new and uh, new developers or programmers onto it or we're, we're trying to better the ecosystem for existing users, right? Like you rightly said, if we're trying to get a lot more new people onto it, then probably we need to revisit the approach of 
how do we make it enticing and interesting for new people to learn it? As you're saying, like web forms, I remember things like Ion Speed that came around, you know, that whole concept of web forms. So would that be to say that, is it a good thing that they are not making it that enticing anymore for especially the entry-level people? Or is it the focus on, hey, you're already using it. How do we better, how do you make it even much more simple for you? So I think that's a question we need to answer. I do think the move to .NET Core, well, right through a lot of breaking changes and you end up leaving some people behind, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was necessary, like you said, to be cross-platform and to reach more people. And I do think for someone who knows C-sharp or someone who's learning C-sharp, Blazor is, and I know I've said Blazor several times because it's part of my new job, but Blazor mm-hmm. is an inroad to, mm-hmm. to bridging the gap between the back end and the front end, right? Because you don't mm-hmm. have to go learn a JavaScript framework, which if you want to, you can. Because, you know, I did that with Angular and we did Angular for the front end and, and C Sharp and SQL, right? Yeah. But that's not going to be the case going forward. And I feel like Blazor's only going to get better over time. So if you end up in the .NET ecosystem, whether you chose it or you it chose you and you've got a handle on C Sharp, Blazor's not a huge leap. So Yeah, well, but then, then again, there, there is that that question of, for instance, let's let's use Xamarin Forms and now Maui. Like, look at all that investment. Like you rightly said, people are still on web forms. People are people have you know production applications still running on you know Xamarin Forms, and now we're like, oh, we're moving to you know all new you know Maui. So could that also be a reason why some people are like Microsoft just keeps doing this? So let's just stick to Java that has been Java, or let's just stick to this platform that has been this platform for, you know, God knows how long. Don't you think that's also part of like a problem? I can definitely see that as part of the issue. But I guess, right, there's two ways of looking at it. Um, you know, yeah, Java's been Java, but, and I know there's Java people out there who, who think it's great. I think .NET's better. And there's a, another framework that you can compare this to with Angular, JS, and Angular, right? There were a lot of people up in arms when they started over. But they started over for a good reason, because, right, they learned a lot in AngularJS, and they were able to take what they learned in the mistakes they made and roll that into Angular. So it's it's a tough decision from a business standpoint or from the company standpoint, right? But I lean towards having the breaking changes or having to to figure out a way to migrate if the environment or the framework is is going to grow, we'd be better for it, right? One thing about why people, I think, tend to go towards some of the JavaScript frameworks and Java is, you know, if they're first getting into programming, you kind of look at the sites that you think are cool or maybe that your friends use. People that you know, influence you, you know, what are they doing? What are they using? And I think a lot of, you know, lately, you know, a lot of things going to be built with React or or Angular or things like that. So that's what people tend to drift towards. You know, what what can build something cool? You know, even though you can do it with .NET, what they're they're not seeing or knowing what sites they're visiting that are .NET. So you really can't tell unless you ask somebody or you know your friend tells you or somebody else says, oh yeah, I can tell this is built by .NET or JavaScript or React or whatever. So I I think there's some marketing in, involved. You know, to reach beyond just the people that are attracted to Microsoft and and the things that 
it uses. And you know, Microsoft should be doing more outreach to the schools to get them to at least have some courses in .NET. I think that really helped. I was also going to say that Microsoft, like, I guess, kind of, kind of going to sound harsh, but um, .NET may not be as important to Microsoft as it once was because basically they don't care what language you use as long as you use Azure, basically, these days. Even Windows, they don't care if you use Windows. They, they just want you to use Azure. That's how they make almost all their money now. So, so yeah, it's become more yeah. language agnostic. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think they ask, and, and in terms of like getting... And you can see that because they're pumping a lot of like money into educating people about Azure, you know, like um, so. Yeah, I, I agree. But but one of the one of the problems also is, especially with the with the challenges in the communities here in in Africa, or I mean, from what I have seen, is sometimes it's hard to get Microsoft even to pretty much sponsor or you know take part in an outreach you're doing. You know, at the end of the day, I'm trying to pitch your product, mm. you're achieving. Swans all talk about it, so that's a that's a huge problem. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, Samuel, is there anything else you want want to talk about or want to bring up when it comes to to broadening the reach of .NET in Africa? Well, I think we've pretty much touched on a lot of it. All I can say is thanks to uh, like the .NET Foundation trying to make it virtual. We should, as .NET people or people in the in the that .NET community, try to support the various communities, irrespective of where they are located. So for instance, it will be good for, let's say, you guys to you probably, you know, maybe publish or repost something from our user group concerning an event we are doing and that's, you know, probably, you know, help take the reach far. And then also maybe honoring a lot of our speaking invitations because when they when they get to hear or, you know, hear you people talk about what you are doing with .NET, like you said, a lot of, a lot of websites probably running Blazor and .NET that people don't even know about. So the more they get to see how big comps or, you know, even startups or other companies are using .NET, it would probably be something that attracts them into, hey, we want to learn it. So that would be, you know, my submission on asking on how we can support it. Great. Well, hey, I'm all for that, right? The, I know why I said whatever tool gets the job done. I just, my favorite tool is .NET and C Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I think we're going to go to picks. Hey, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Let's see. Why? Do you want to go first? Okay. So this week's pick is a, it's actually a new TV show I've started watching on, on, on Netflix. It's called Love, Death, and Robots. So it's, it's, it's really strange. It's kind of like it's a, what I call it, an anthology show where, where every, every episode is different. But it's kind of like a, it's it's actually really violent to be honest. So it's probably not recommended for kids, but it's like a cartoon, but it's like hyper realistic. So it's kind of like a black 
mirror type show where you know they go into they talk about robots in the future and you know all that stuff but um yeah just the animation is just incredible like it's like it's super realistic so and and the episode's only like 10 to 15 minutes long as well which is kind of a strange format but um yeah i've just been really getting into it it's been been really good just, even just looking at the animation just how realistic the yeah the show looks like yeah I, i'll second that I, I watched the whole first season a while back oh, and i'm cool. halfway through the second and and i like the fact that each episode has its own look and feel mm-hmm. right and the stories encapsulate like you said in 10 15 minutes it's it's well done it's a creative it's just, approach. I, I just can't believe they can make things that realistic and still kind of right. cartoonish now. Like it's yeah. I, I reckon we're like maybe five, ten years before we don't even need actors anymore. Like oh, we'll be able to just, just start everything Brad, to yeah. you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at that point he won't care. So Sean, do you have a pick for us? I have a pick. Yep. So I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I collect squished pennies. So when I was that before. no, <laughs> I was, okay. Well, I don't. I don't have a huge collection, but I have a small collection of them. So uh, when I was at Microsoft Ignite, you know, back in 2019, they had a little machine there that you put a penny in or crank it and get little you know squished pennies out of it. So they had a bunch of designs. So I got all those, but I've got a number of ones from uh, from Vegas, Florida, Hawaii, wherever I kind of go, I, I look for them and and try to get them. So my pick this week is squished pennies. And one little tip out there is if you're going to do squished pennies, look for pennies that are pre-1980. Even better, it'd be like pre-1970. Because after 81 or 82, I remember, they started adding zinc into them. So you're not going to get the same kind of a... You'll get this little kind of a, a striped going through it because of the different types of metal that are in the pennies now. So uh, yeah, just use some Brasso clean them up well, put them to the machine, and have fun. So, so we have the Australian Mint because I'm from the capital of Australia. And I think there is a machine there where you can like put in a dollar and it just does that squashing thing. Next time I go there, I'll give you one. I'll, I'll do one and I'll send it to you. How about that? Sweet. Yeah, yeah that'd, that'd be awesome. Okay, I'll get you one. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I trying to remember if I got some, per, I might've got one from Canada, that, but that would be my only foreign one. And of course it was a US coin, uh, but uh, yeah. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll try, I'll try yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Why? You're you're reminding me of my childhood. My great grandfather's house, a train drove behind it and we would go put pennies on the track. And we were always told, <laughs> don't do that because you, you're gonna make the train derail. No, that never happened. But the, you get squished pennies. Yep. Man, yep. My, gr- my grandmother ago. also lived right next to a train track and we used to go out and either rocks or pennies or <laughs> fruit, <laughs> fruit, whatever. Or, yeah. Anything you could put out there. So we you know, hey, this this was back in the eighties. You had to find ways to entertain yourself other than the internet, right? So <laughs> it's amazing how used to a train going by you actually get after a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. You just the sound disappears. So my pick this week is the tooth fairy. And the reason I'm picking the tooth fairy is my son lost his first tooth this morning. And what do you guys, what is the going rate these days for the tooth fairy? Because <laughs> we're not sure how expensive she's gotten. <laughs> this is an incredible coincidence because my daughter, my oldest daughter, actually lost her first tooth last night. Nice. Um, we had $2 for the tooth fairy, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're a bit cheap on that. But 
US, I think it's about a dollar. Oh, okay. Well, we, the thing is, we we wanted to give her coins. I think she likes coins better than paper money. <laughs> so, and I think she would just spend it on. I don't know what she would spend it on. But <laughs> right. Well, we we're looking forward to her visit. So, Tooth Fairy, if you're out there and you're listening to this before it even gets posted, because you're magical and you can do that, we'll see you tonight. <laughs> All right, Samuel, what about you? What's your pick? My pick would be Mixed Reality, especially, the let's say, the HoloLens Death Kit. Yeah. <laughs> I I recently got my hands on the Death Kit 2, and it's, oh, man, the experience is it's crazy. And even more crazy out thinking of what I intend to do with it, especially to expose young kids and people that are, you know, in less deprived areas. I'm just imagining using the the whole explorer to create, let's say, a virtual zoo where I have all these animals virtually then having these kids who have not been to a zoo before put them on and kind of like experience it. So that'll be my pick for, for today. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I think I remember playing the HoloLens like years ago and they've probably got a different version now but yeah it's just i remember there was this like i was playing this game where like these aliens would just come out of the the wall like the wall that i was actually in the room i was actually in and i was like that's amazing kind of thing like (laughs) so yeah yeah so samuel if people want to get in touch with you what's the the best way for them to do it so i'm very active on twitter at S Adrani, which is S A D R A N Y I. That's my handle at S Adrani on Twitter. Yeah, and pretty much once you're there, you, you you can get me on all the other platforms. But Twitter is my best place. Good deal. Very cool. Well, thank you for joining us. It's uh, we were talking about this before we started, right? We got Australia and Africa and the US. We're just we're global. This is good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for listening. And oh, yeah. Don't forget, right? If you want to contact us, how do they contact us, Sean? Well, they can contact me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Please reach out. We'd love to hear your feedback. You want to do it? Why are you? Uh, (laughs) Why I tried last week. Anyway, and you can reach me at Caleb Wells Coates. No sound effects for that. No, there's, well, you know, there's, (laughs) yeah. Clickety I'm clack, not nearly you know, as cool. coding. Clickety clack. I don't know. <laughs> Clickety clack. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we will see y'all on the next. See y'all. See? Yeah. The Southern. Uh, on the next episode of Adventures.net. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.